The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Today's topic is food allergies. I'm joined by Erin Mallower, who's a digital health entrepreneur and food allergy advocate. Erin is the founder of Allergy Health, which brings expert guidance and up-to-date information to patients and caregivers. She serves on the Food Allergy Task Force at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C., in addition to advising pharmaceutical companies, tech startups, food manufacturers, media outlets, restaurants, and others on food allergies. Erin consults and contributes to a variety of media sources, including Bloomberg, Politico, CBS Radio, CBS News, Healthline, WebMD, and Fox 5. Erin was featured on the Discovery Channel documentary, Emerging Epidemic, Food Allergies in America, um, that aired in 2013, and is the food allergy columnist and medical editor for the publication Allergy and Asthma Today. Through her organization, Allergy Strong, Erin is focused on helping the at-risk and underserved community living with food allergies. Erin especially enjoys working with children and recently produced a public service announcement aimed at dispelling myths and promoting basic guidance about food allergies for undeserved, underserved youth and those that support them. Erin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, we're so excited to talk about this topic because I think increasingly as a parent myself, the awareness and the number of children, you know, certainly in my kids' schools that have food allergies and how much of a question it is now that's become um, kind of routine, like when we have a friend over um, what their food allergies and preferences are is something that, you know, when I was a child, we didn't really have that level of awareness. Um, so it's really becoming increasingly an important topic. And you know, when we recently spoke, I love your passion about this topic. How did you go down the path of becoming interested in food allergies? It started the day that my son was diagnosed. Um, we had had a suspicion as he was an infant that he might have a food allergy, although because I didn't know anyone growing up with a food allergy, I was really in denial about this possibility. But when the pediatrician called to give me results of a blood test, she told me he was allergic to eight different common foods, including soy and corn, milk, eggs, wheat, uh, peanuts, tree nuts, and sesame seeds. And I hung up the phone with her with the instruction to go make an appointment with an allergist and thought to myself, oh, my God, I have to feed him dinner tonight in two hours. And now I, I don't know what I don't know. I, I don't know what's safe and I don't know how to prepare a meal anymore. Suddenly everything you think you know is in doubt and you're faced with this diagnosis instantly. It's not a, a thing that sort of absorbs into your consciousness. You're faced with having to deal with it the second you're aware of it. Um, and so at the time, this was 15 years ago, I went in search of more resources, um, trying to get some more information about how to live and how to do things day to day. And there wasn't a lot out there and it wasn't easily accessible in the, at this moment. And so I thought if I have to do, go out and do the research myself, and this research might take two hours or it may take 10 hours or it may take four days, then I should at least compile it and make it available for the next family doing this exact same research. And so that's how I kind of got into 
writing and, and being aware of all um, the food allergy information education that needed to, to be out there. And, and of course, as we've um, kind of progressed through these 15 years, we've seen a great change in that community. And then it's now a very vibrant, active community with a lot of resources, which I'm happy to report. So that's wonderful, wonderful change to see. Oh, gosh, yes. And, and so how did you end up, you know, figuring out like what you make, like when the, you got those resources together and like you said, you had two hours to put dinner on the table, like, you know, what, what were the first things that you did? Uh, well, if you want to know the truth, the very first thing I did was take a walk with my husband and then my, my toddler son. And honestly, I grieved the, the loss of what felt like all these things that I had in mind for him. Um, to be totally honest, that is a pro- part of the process of dealing with a food allergy diagnosis. In my mind, I kept thinking, well, he's never going to be able to just like stop in an ice cream parlor or make a batch of cookies or, you know, go out for pizza with his friends when he's a teenager. And, um, and then I worried about him feeling excluded or feeling different as he grew up. And, um, and so I was worried about the psychological and his physical and psychological development as well, the nutrition part of it as well. And so I had a, quite a lot going on in my brain in those few moments, to be fully honest with you. But by the time we got to actual food, he's hungry, we have to feed him. Um, it was a full learning process. I started off with ba- cooking the basic things that I could, you know, as plain, plain, plain chicken with just olive oil and plain, plain things here and there. Um, and I had to go in search of specialty products, which at that time were very hard to find. Now it's so much easier to find gluten-free food, for example. Um, But it was really hard to to seek out these things. So we started off very plain. And I have to tell you, I was a terrible cook. At this time, I was not real great in my kitchen. I mean, to put it in perspective, I have burnt soup before. Um, And that's a liquid. I just want to say for the record, I've burnt a liquid. And that's just impressive. But I've become better because I've had to. I had to bake him bread every day. Um, I had to, you know, the little kids and they want chicken nuggets and I had to figure out how to make the chicken nugget, you know, the way he might want to eat it. Um, so I'm happy to report that at least I've gained a, a pretty impressive skill from it and a, and a lifelong skill. But it was a process. It was a process. Um, so, so I just went out in search of easy to do recipes to get me started and then started to seek out more resources to elaborate and build on those skills step by step. And now your son is now 15 or how old is Mm -hmm. he? He's 15. Yeah. And, and right now, how does he deal with it? Well, so I think you'll see as a food allergy parent, you'll watch your kids they change the way they deal with it um, as they grow. And um, it, the, their, their willingness to deal with it and engagement with their food allergy ebbs and flows depending on age. So he's a teenager now, and he was a very outspoken toddler and preschooler with food allergies. He was very confident elementary school kid with food allergies. Um, in elementary, going into middle school, he would tell you that it actually he almost liked them because it made him feel special. Um, that he was proud of the way he could handle them um, and confident in his skills. And now that he's becoming a teenager, as typical for teenagers, his focus is on his social life and his friends um, in the most age-appropriate way. However, that tends to mean for all teens, and not just for food allergies, but when it comes to food allergies, it means downplaying those differences between you and your peers. And so I've noticed him trying to make them a no-big-deal situation, which sometimes means for him that he might forego eating at a place that might be safe 
but less familiar to him because he might not want to go through the rigmarole of asking questions. Um, he may not want to point out that he has his epinephrine on him. Um, although his friends are very aware of his food allergy and totally supportive, and to them, it's no big deal. But, you know, as any kid, you know, I think all teenagers feel different in individual ways. And so food allergies is one way that um, it can make kids feel feel different. And speaking of food allergies, so what happens when a person with a food allergy eats something that they're allergic to? It's a great question. There's a range of reactions that would happen. And so it's one of those um, situations that you can see any one of the symptoms or a number of the symptoms simultaneously. So those symptoms can range from hives, um, itching of the skin, the mouth, the lips, swelling of the face, eyes typically, um, and lips. You see that a lot. Um, there'll be sometimes just redness, a flush look. Um, you can hear hoarseness in your throat, coughing, wheezing, trouble breathing, trouble swallowing. Um, oftentimes your esophagus will swell. Um, and then you can feel dizzy or faint. You can even lose consciousness. Um, there can be a drop in blood pressure, nausea, throwing up, uh, any number of things you can see. There's quite a lot of symptoms. Um, and these symptoms range from mild, we would consider like hives or a little bit of itching, a mild reaction, to very severe, as would be the loss of consciousness, the difficulty breathing. Um, this can lead to cardiac arrest and death. So we treat food allergies very, very seriously. Um, and an interesting thing that a lot of people don't know about a food allergic reaction, the most severe reaction, by the way, is called anaphylaxis. And that is the condition that is where you have trouble breathing, you can't, you know, your, your heart may be um, affected, loss of consciousness, um, trouble swallowing. Those, that, that is, those are the severe symptoms called anaphylaxis. The interesting thing that a lot of people don't know is that although you might have a, a mild reaction to a food once, twice, or a hundred times, you never know what the next reaction will be. So a mild reaction, even a hundred or a thousand times, doesn't mean that the very next time you have that food, the same food possibly, you could have anaphylaxis and need to go to the hospital. So food allergies need to be treated as if each reaction would be anaphylaxis which is why you'll hear doctors talk about carrying epinephrine and the necessity to really understand this disease and respond to it quickly and calling 911 when you have, when you think you're um, in anaphylaxis. So can a person have food allergies and not know they have them? You know, it seems like the way you're describing this allergic reaction, this is not subtle. It's, um, something that's pretty right. dramatic and can be life-threatening. I know as a physician, right. I get asked a lot, um, hey, you know, could I be allergic to foods? Is that why I'm tired or I don't feel well a lot of the day? People ask a lot of, is it related to food allergies? Um, you know, would people know if they had a food allergy? Typically, they would know. Um, typically, the signs of food allergy are severe and they are uncomfortable, um, if not fully scary. Sometimes people have an impending sense of doom when they're having a reaction. That's how severe this can be. These food allergies are an immunological response. So the body is really, when it's attacking the food allergy, food allergen, it's really shutting itself down. Um, you are aware of that. When your body is shutting itself down, you are typically aware and you should speak with your doctor immediately. Um, and 
all those other symptoms I hear about, I do hear often, I get headaches, um, I'm tired, I hear the same things. They may be a response to a food intolerance, which is a wholly different condition. They both involve food, but they're not, food allergies and food intolerances are not the same thing. And what is the difference? So I'm glad it's important that people understand that a food allergy is an immunological response from the body to a food pro- for, to protein in food. And you can be allergic to over 170 different foods, basically almost any food out there. Um, a food intolerance is a digestive issue. It's an issue where your body can't digest a certain enzyme. The common one would be, for example, lactose, which is found in milk products. Um, you know, people hear lactose intolerance all the time. Well, lactose intolerance and dairy allergy are very different. Dairy allergy would present in all the types of um, reactions that I had mentioned before. A lactose intolerance reaction would be an upset stomach, um, other types of digestive issues, um, bloating, gassy feelings, acid reflux. Those are more common to an intolerance. And then people often ask me about celiac disease, which also involves food, but is also not a food allergy. Celiac disease is an autoimmune um, condition where the protein in wheat, known as gluten, um, can attack, it sets off an attack of the small intestines. And long-term, this can cause some major problems and it results in quite a host of other symptoms. But celiac disease itself is not a food allergy, although it involves avoiding food. And if a person thinks that they have allergies or intolerances, how should they go about figuring out if they do? Like what kind of testing can they pursue or who do they see? Well, the first things first is these things need to be managed and supervised by um, a doctor. So it's important to go to your doctor or to an allergist um, and describe your symptoms. Um, If you suspect you've had a reaction, write a food journal based on what you'd had that day and anything else maybe you'd had the previous day. Um, Typically, reactions happen quick for food allergy happen pretty quickly. So likely it's going to be something you had just eaten at the last meal. Um, But go to your doctor and they may prescribe a host of a few tests. Personal history, first of all, is the key to to most of this. Understanding what your experience and your history has been is, is truly important. Then they may just may prescribe or, or try to seek a diagnosis through either a skin prick test where a little bit of allergen is placed on your skin and they measure the results of the reaction. You may have some hives. Um, it's a mild test. It doesn't hurt. It just, it just um, involves waiting in the office typically for a result. The other test that doctors sometimes use is a blood test. And those blood tests are testing for IgE cells, which are immunoglobulin E, which is an antibody in the, in the um, natural antibody in the system, and they'll test, and that will help predict whether you have a food allergy or not. Now, none of these tell you definitively that you have a food allergy or you don't. There is no real test that we can do that will tell you for sure that you do or you do not have a food allergy, but it helps doctors interpret the results and move forward from there. The only test that can tell you whether you have a food allergy or not is called an oral food challenge. And that is where you eat a piece of the suspected allergen, let's say it's a peanut, um, but you would do this in the doctor's office. And they would monitor you for results and test your blood pressure and your temperature and just you know visually monitor you and we'll be able to evaluate from there about whether you're having a reaction or you're not. And 
what are um, the types of testing that you see out there that you think are not so helpful because, you know, certainly I get a lot of people coming in with printouts and panels of things that they tell me, oh, I never knew I was allergic to X or Y. I've been having this my whole life and I just had this testing that told me I'm allergic. And usually when I look at it, the methodology of the testing um, is not what you just described. It's not the IgE testing. So what are things that people should look out for? There is a test that is promoted widely, um, and it's something that you can even order at home. It is not recommended, however. It's called an IgG test or a food sensitivity test. These tests um, are testing for just that, an IgG cell. It's another type of antibody in your, in your body, naturally produced part of your immune system, that is designed to, to protect you against like bacterial and viral infections. So it's, it's a do-gooder in your body. What it isn't is a predictor or an indicator that you have a sensitivity or a food allergy. It really doesn't test for either one. What it is actually is that doctors will describe it as a memory cell. So oftentimes the results come back for foods that you have eaten for a long time or you have eaten very recently. Um, it, essentially it's telling you, the test is saying, I remember you did have coffee and wheat in, in the form of a bagel and cream cheese on that bagel and strawberries on the side. Um, and unfortunately, many um, clinicians and doctors, and then if you're taking the test at home, you may look at those results and feel that you need to avoid these foods when you've, in fact, been tolerating them in a healthy way your whole life. Um, the problem with these tests are twofold. One, they're giving you results that aren't accurate and don't guide you in any direction. They're just not they're not worth your money and they're not worth your time. Um, and they're not recommended by the American Academy for Allergy and Asthma and Immunology. They're not recommended by the European equivalent of that. They do, they, this is not recommended for food allergy or for intolerance. There is no test for intolerance. Um, and they also may, may cause you harm in the form of having to avoid large batches of food. The, these tests often come back with 30 or 40 foods that they claim you should avoid. And this can cause a nutritional problem, not to mention a logistical problem, not to mention trying to find equivalents can be very expensive. So I, I would not recommend it. I think if you suspect that you have either an intolerance or an allergy, go directly to a doctor and let them guide you from there. And that's actually very, very helpful advice because um, I see those panels a lot and I know there's a lot of interest on the part of people to find their sensitivities um, because it's been uh, maybe postulated to be tied into health in ways that go far beyond an allergic reaction as you're, as you're describing. What are other misconceptions? You know, you do so much work with consumer advocacy and consumer health information, and I'm sure you have a lot of things that keep coming up as things that, oh, you know, you wish people knew this because there's a lot of misconception out there. Are there a, a couple others that uh, you'd like to share? Yes. Well, the, the number one that I'd like to share is that any food can cause a reaction, so it's not just peanuts. That's the one we hear about the most often. And we hear about it for a good reason. It's that it's common. It's a common allergy for children in particular. And it causes, known to be cause, causing very severe reactions. So, but it's not just peanuts that cause these severe reactions. Any allergy, kiwi, oranges, mustard, sesame seeds, they can all cause very severe reactions um, and can cause anaphylaxis and can kill. Um, any one of them can. Um, so that's a very common misconception. And when we 
hear stories about um, patients that are having severe reactions or have died from severe reactions, people often call me and are surprised to hear that it was from dairy or from eggs or from fish or from something that they just had never considered to be an allergen before or a deadly allergen before. Um, the other common misconception is that if you don't have a food allergy, that you're totally out of the woods. You made it. You made it through childhood. You don't have a food allergy and you're good to go. Well, studies have shown actually that adults um, have more food allergies than children do. Right now, the rate of food allergy for children is one every 13. So we say two in every classroom, if you think about a school setting. But the rate for adults is one every 10, which means we probably know a bunch of people individually that have food allergies. And this, the reason is not only because they are growing into adulthood with food allergies, but also because they're developing a food allergy as adults. And in fact, we're seeing that anyone can develop a food allergy to any food at any time. And, and case in point is my own story where my father-in-law had been eating shellfish and fish and, and all kinds of food his whole life. He loves food. Um, and at age 40, he was flying over the Atlantic Ocean to Europe and had a shrimp and went into anaphylaxis. The last place you want to be is on an airplane 30,000 feet in the air when you can't breathe. And it's no fun to be there when you did not know you had a food allergy and don't have epinephrine auto-injectors like an EpiPen or an LVQ on you to save your life. And he didn't. Um, and so thankfully he made it across. Um, his reaction was very severe. And I, as I understand it, he went through customs to give you a picture of it with his eyes sealed shut. He could not open them. And he was able to at least get enough medicine in him to open his airways and get him through. But he was in bad shape over the Atlantic Ocean. And that can happen to anybody, not, hopefully not in dire circumstances like that. But you should be aware of what the signs and symptoms are in case you experience any issues if you've ever been eating or if you're with someone that does. Um, and then another common misconception, of course, is that issue about mild reactions. I just feel like I can't say it enough that uh, parents and patients need to be prepared for the next reaction to be a very severe one. I hope for everyone's sake that it's not. Uh, I hope that that for everyone's sake that everyone has mild reactions if they ever have them at all. Um, but it's important to be prepared. It's important to carry your epinephrine auto injectors because that is the only medication that can possibly stop anaphylaxis or that very severe reaction. Um, and so it, it's, it is important to take it seriously and I can't underscore that part enough. Oh, that, those are really great points because I, I hear all the things you just mentioned um, myself quite often. I wanna talk about your work. Um, so you founded Allergy Health. What, um, tell us a little bit about the work that you do through that. Yeah, so Allergy Health is a digital healthcare company that focuses on bringing food allergy education to patients and caregivers. And um, what we're doing is taking a 360 degree view of life with food allergies. It's the thing that I wanted when I got that diagnosis 15 years ago. I wish I had had this. Um, where, so what we're looking at is the medical information, you know, what is a food allergy? What are the diagnostic tests? What to expect when you call 911? What are the steps that increase your chances of success if you're having a reaction? Um, what is epinephrine and how to administer it? So all these medical questions we're answering, we're also answering developmental questions like, 
what does food allergies look like in infants and toddlers um, and in middle school and high school and beyond. And then we're also looking at issues like lifestyle issues because food allergies as a diagnosis impacts every part of your life. It's not just the food you eat four to five times a day. It's the shampoo, the lotion, when you travel, when you go out to eat, when you're with friends. Um, it's planning a birthday party. It's attending a birthday party. It, it's everything. And so we do talk about those issues. We talk about dating and dining and, um, and living with food allergies on a budget because food allergies are quite expensive, actually. Um, they're an added expense for many families that are it's very difficult to juggle. Um, and so we talk about all of these types of issues, um, you know, how to travel on an airplane. It, it's really critical topics. And then we also touch on the piece that I'm so passionate about as well, which is the psychosocial piece. Um, food allergies really have a psychological effect on the patient and frankly on the caregiver. Um, it can be stressful. It can be anxiety producing. These are very normal um, reactions to having and living day to day with a, a chronic illness like this. And, um, and so we talk about how to cope and what feels normal and what about bullying? Because that's a common situation and the psychosocial impacts of feeling included or excluded and, and how to be, um, you know, a good caregiver and how to find support. So we try to cover quite a range of topics and bring this information directly from the experts and sometimes the researchers themselves directly to the patient, no matter where you are. What a tremendous resource. You're right. It is really the full 360, there are aspects and dimensions and components that I think, you know, certainly people who don't live with some of the food allergies wouldn't even think or consider. Um, and certainly anyone who's newly diagnosed gets thrown into this new world. Um, and that is a tremendous resource for people to be able to have. And you mentioned, you know, the cost of food allergies. You know, you also have um, Allergy Strong um, to help with the underserved communities living with food allergies. Tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing through that. Allergy Strong, I'm so passionate about. I, I, I read a study. Um, I'm glad you're asking about it. Thank you. Um, I read a study in about 2013 that came out of Northwestern. And um, there they had calculated the cost of food allergies, which I thought was fascinating. And when I read it, what it said was that food allergies cost approximately $25 billion a year in the United States annually. And most of that cost is shouldered by families. So this is not an industry cost. This is mostly about $20.1 billion or $20.8 billion is shouldered by families themselves. Um, and that includes a whole lot of different things, including the increased cost of food, um, lost job opportunities, um, productivity issues, and out-of-pocket expenses, medication, doctors, et cetera. Um, and it amounted to approximately $4,500 per child per year. Wow. And I said to my husband, I wonder how families who are living paycheck to paycheck, and there are so many families in the United States doing exactly this, how are they shouldering this cost? How are they handling this? This is expensive. And this was right around the same time that the cost of epinephrine was skyrocketing and hitting the news. You know, the cost of epinephrine had increased like 600% in something like 10 years. And, um, and so those two things coupled together, and I just kept saying, I don't know how families are doing this. 
it's expensive. Keep in mind that families have to keep more than one set of epinephrine. You need it for school. You need to send special snacks. You know, if someone else's child has a birthday at school, I'm sending the birthday snack in. So it's, it, there's a constant flow of energy and effort and time and resources and money um, that go to caring for a child with food allergies. So I started to look into it to see how our family is handling this. And the answers, there weren't many much research at that time, and, but the answers were grim. They weren't handling it well. They were making horrible choices about, you know, whether to um, feed their allergic child nothing for dinner or the thing that they're allergic to. And at least they have nourishment, but then they might react. Um, they're making choices um, about which child to feed, um, which is a choice I can't imagine making. Um, they're going into food pantries and coming out empty handed because there isn't anything there for them. And it just pained me to think of families who need this so badly, um, you know, being kind of shut out of a system that is designed to help people. Um, and this didn't, this didn't only include families that are uh, low income or food insecure, but these are also families that are at risk. You know, imagine if any one of us were um, evacuated for a tornado or a hurricane. We could be at the hands of food assistance programs that aren't prepared to manage us and aren't prepared to um, assist us appropriately. And so I began a campaign of talking to food pantries and talking to organizations that handle large amounts of um, people for food assistance, whether it's for natural disaster or for public assistance, um, talking to the state WIC programs, which is the Women Infant Children programs designed to help pregnant mothers and their babies through age five, um, and seeing how they're handling things and seeing how flexible they are, as well as the food stamp program, which is now called SNAP, um, and seeing how they're handling programs. So we've done quite a lot of um, both advocacy on that end and um, support. We also do on a case-by-case -case basis support families who are in, you know, families with food allergies who are in need. And I will work with social workers um, to both educate the social workers and provide food assistance and education for the families that, that, that are in need of that. And that's just... Um... It's so wonderful to hear, you know, I'm listening to your story and seeing how you've taken this really hard situation that you and your family had to work through and how you've really turned it around in a way that has not only helped your own child thrive, but also helped so many other families along the way, trying to make that path easier and easier for the next person. Um, so thank you for all the incredible work that you do. In the time that you have left, is there anything you want to add that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Well, yeah, there's one thing I'd love to add, actually, and I think it speaks to the common purpose that you and I have a kind of a common mission, despite individual um, paths, which is twofold. One is um, awareness and education are really needed in this field. Um, once again, there's a lot of misconception about what food allergies are and um, not a lot of awareness about how to help, how to be a good friend to someone with food allergies, um, how to be supportive, and, and how to handle it yourself if you're the one that has them. Um, so I do encourage people to get information, 
seek support, and ask questions. People are happy to answer questions about their condition, about food allergies. So if you have questions, ask questions. Ask what it's like if your friend has them or your neighbor has them or if another family is dealing with them. Um, it only increases empathy and the sense of community that surrounds us all, and I think it's really important. And given the statistics of food allergies and how often how fast they're growing, um, I mean, peanut allergies alone have tripled in the last 20 years. So just to give you some perspective, this is a, a growing epidemic. Um, we all know somebody with a food allergy or related to somebody with a food allergy or we're the patient. So I, I do encourage everyone to, to reach out. And the other thing I'd like to say is um, that you and I are in a mission to spread education and spread awareness and especially because a lot of our health issues can be prevented. So there's so much stock to be placed in prevention. So I encourage you, if you have a food allergy, to work with your doctor and think of, you know, talk through prevention, talk through what your daily life is and what your challenges are, um, including, and this is the most common one for people with food allergies, carrying epinephrine, carrying an EpiPen, carrying an LVQ or any other type of epinephrine auto injector. Um, there, it can be challenging to carry those. Um, and other ways of avoidance, avoidance is challenging. Lots of parts of food allergies are challenging, but number one, you're not alone. And number two, your doctor or the nurse or your friend or an online group or blog could possibly help. Um, and prevention could be the key to your health and your future and living a more relaxed, comfortable life because food allergies don't have to be an obstacle. Uh, there are lots of simple solutions around almost any problem you can think of. That's wonderful. Erin, thank you so much for joining us. You've shared so much really valuable information that I think um, a lot of people with and without allergies can benefit from. So thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org slash livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.